Shalom, balance, paradise, righteousness, all good day, good night, back up in the lab, continuing the New Orleans, Louisiana series. And as you can see, my I got another legend in the lab with me, my the one and only Young Bleed, former No Limit artist, former Camp Life artist, father, brother, artist, everything in between. Welcome to the broadcast, sibling. What do you do? Blank dot on me for man. So yeah, I appreciate you bringing me through, little one. Yeah, man. Give thanks, man. Give thanks. Twenty-one gun salute. Glad for you to be in the building. Yes, sir. Many are called, but only few answer. That's right. True statement. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So we, before we jump into Delorium and go back in time, sibling, huh. how's things, man? How's things in this tumultuous 2020 zombie apocalypse flex? flex? Oh, man. In my 46 years of life, this probably been one of the craziest years or the craziest year, man, due to the election, the COVID, and everything else that's going on, you know, from America throughout the world, man. So, yeah, we dealing with it. You know, I done had a few um, family member casualties along the way. You know what I mean? Bless up. You know what I mean? Everybody rest in paradise. But yeah, man, for um, the 250 plus that we know about thousands of people that's sick or dying of this COVID, man. Yeah, it's real crazy right now. It's like the new black plague. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Definitely, man. Definitely. Well, as you say, man, it's good. It's good to see that, you know, we're, we're still kind of, you know, we're fighting the way through. We're being as diligent as we can be, you know, uh, trustfully, most high willing, the family members and friends and extended loved ones are still going to be safe. Um, we just got to, as I say, man, we just got to keep on being as diligent as we can. Um, you know, prayers up to the, to, to, to the most high as well. That's the most definitely going to help. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. The only way, man. You know what I mean? That's the whole notion. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bless up. For shiggity, man. So I take it with all of this here going on, entertainment wise, being an artist, this has really slowed your like live performances down and all that there? Absolutely. First and foremost, man, I had a few on setback dates um throughout the year since the COVID. I actually took off like maybe a month or so before and I come on out to the um Cincinnati, Ohio, and the Louisville, Kentucky um area i had two shows a week apart so i got like good friends and families throughout those states so i was able to stay around and in the midst of that that hit man so i refused to fly back home or anywhere on the plane and the public transportation you know here to there so we kind of trying to get back to it you know some of the clubs and venues are opening up due to the um the multitude of people you have to be masked up so yeah that's definitely slowed down the road travel but what I, I've been busy doing is on um, getting back to being a lab rat man, working on my project. Um, shit, numbers of projects. Um, I'm like, you know, I have a label called Trapdoor Entertainment. We bought 23 artists plus, you know what I mean? So I've been busy in the studio, um, you know, um, customizing those projects and um, trying to stick to like a two week quota, man, and just dropping records in the meanwhile, you know? 
building, planning, strategizing. You know what I mean? I, I hear you, Sivlin, cooking up some of that gumbo. <laughs> yeah, no, man, absolutely, man. I see you real fun in Louisiana. That's just what it is. Absolutely. Yep. Definite, man. Definite. Okay. Well, let, 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 let's let's do what we always do, man. We're going to jump in that DeLorean and we're going to take it back, sibling. So try and paint me as a, a, a vivid picture as, as, as we can. Where was we where was we born and raised? Uh, I was born and raised in actually um South Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You know what I mean? So I grew up, you know, if you're familiar with Lib Boosie, Kevin Gates, NBA Young Boy, we out the same city. And me and Boosie in particular off the same block, same hood, you know what I mean? So, you know, as far as the roots and rudiments, yeah, I started there, you know, Garfield Street. And um, really, I tell everybody as old as hip hop is, you know, I was born this way. So since like the middle 70s, I'm born in 74. When I was evolving, I was evolving. And actually in the embryo, my mother used to read me Dr. Seuss. And after I was born about eight months or so into, uh, you know, my days on the planet, man, I started to be able to recite and read Dr. Seuss myself. I had an uncle that was a natural drama and, you know, so many different instruments, but um, pretty much, you know, acoustic instruments. And what he kept around the house was congos and bongos and um and live drum sets. So he'd been teaching me a set since four, five years old. By the, by the time I turned five years old, I had my own two drum sets. But when they say rap is rhythm and poetry, like I say, yeah, you know, this is my mm -hmm. life. I'm born this way, man, absolutely. Definite, man. Musical tones, and you can play them there, them um, them drums and that there. Okay, right. Um, musical influences, like what 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 was we what was we soaking up around these kind of times coming up? Mm, well, my whole family, in particular, for starters, um, my grandmother was a president of the choir at the church. She was like the mother of the choir, so I started in the Southern Baptist Church singing, and like I say past preference um where my uncle was concerned i was already doing those type of things around the house my granddaddy was a natural blues man he played a piano had a partner by the name of um harmonica mode used to come by you know every friday and they did the fish fries and card mm. games and what have we so all that music plethora was there you know my mother was talented in her ways and uncles so i kind of um gathered it all and by the time i i turned about nine years old in the fourth grade, I put my pen to the pad and I never looked back. That was like 1983. So 37 plus years for me on a pen and a pad. Man. <laughs> okay, right. Um, pen to pads, we start putting it down. Yeah. Did mm -hmm. did the flow, did the, did the young bleed we know now develop mm -hmm. straight away or did that build over time? Um, definitely over time, man. Um, I had a poetry teacher that taught us haiku poems and different kind of um, poetry formats. Um, I could freestyle about 82 when I was like eight, but I didn't know how to write my tongue twisters and the breaks and pauses. You know what I mean? So just off the whim, you know what I mean? I had good spirit and good essence. So that, that kind of combinated itself on, um, on the playgrounds and on into middle school and different things. So over the year, you know, I have different names and, you know, different ideas of who I wanted to be. And really, you know, I mean, taking from, um, you know, giving a whole lot of um, credit to the East Coast for starters. And anybody know what I mean about that in those 80s? That was, you know, I always say New York is like the Mecca yep. of hip hop. You know what I mean? Um, and from Jamaica into New York, when you know the, um, the history. So Cool I Herc. Took, 
yeah, cool Herc, absolutely. Africa Bound by the um, you know, Grandmaster um Melly Mel, Grandmaster mm-hmm. Flash. If you I mean the, the list goes on and on. So when you break that down, it's hard for me to do a top five nowadays because it's in categories, you know, from the yeah. East Coast and to the West, down south, the Midwest, and eventually worldwide. So as hip hop was growing, I was growing with it. So I took my bits and pieces off of those trees. And over years, I would formulate, you know, who I would come to be, man. So a little bit of here, a little bit of there, you know? A little ski taste from the East Coast, a little iced tea maybe from that West. No, <laughs> absolutely. No doubt. That's it. Yeah, yeah. As a, as a, as a resident of Louisiana, music yeah. scene-wise, um did you get involved in that bounce um to be honest in the beginning i really didn't uh like bounce music um i learned to respect it new orleans had their own thing and it was more like club happy kind of music or or what we used to call booty popping music yeah yeah you know what i mean so i was um you know rock him is my favorite rapper of all times and you kind of hear that, you know, the low tone and, and, and my lyricism mm-hmm. and amongst others, you know what I mean? Daddy Kane, the LL, you name him. So I was a serious lyricist. And, uh, you know, shout out to the DOC for, you know, um, creating different vocabulary and slang and just uh, um, a, a deep student to the game. So I was more, more lyrically inclined. You know, of course, I like the beats and music, but finding that texture. Yeah. It took time to develop the music that I wanted to rap over, and especially coming from Baton Rouge, being a little outside of New Orleans, and they had the fame, you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. name the fame before we did. So I had to learn to formulate that to, to the world, you know, before the world can accept that. So over time, I really didn't like my voice, you know what I mean? Trying to mimic the big guys and all that. So it's a yeah. lot I wanted to do, but coming from where I was coming from was a long way from New York and eventually on um, California and the West Coast. But yeah, y'all, I'm definitely, um, you know, I learned to respect it once I started, you know, my pops, I'm raised by a man from the Night Water in New Orleans. Um, my granddaddy was a um, World War II veteran. He died in the Veterans Hospital like in 84 or something like that. So all my young life, I always went back and forth to New Orleans. So, I, you know, it's a crazy love for New Orleans as well as Baton Rouge. But I learned to respect and understand stood their culture and where that bounce sound came from. So, you know, it's a different dynamic for me nowadays. Mm, definitely. Rapper-wise in Louisiana, um, Baton Rouge specifically, um, are we talking, obviously, because this is outside looking in, um, first person I knew of was was C-Loc. I did. Um, It go a little farther back um, than C-Loc. Shouts out to um, a big cuz, Silky Slim, and um, the Southside Wrecking Crew. You know, he was one of the first rappers, and Joker Pete out of our neighborhood that was making records, you know what I mean? Before I make my first underground tape and before C. Loka make records. But um, in middle school, you know, um, C. Loka was my DJ, you know, unfortunately we never did talent shows together. I did talent shows and I'm sure he did different things, but it was a thing around the school where his dream was to be the DJ, my dream was to be the rapper. So, you know, we would run together streetwise and otherwise, but never really formulated to later on in life, somewhere like 93, 94, when he built his company, I was still, you know, hustling tapes on the corner and, you know, in the dope spot doing my thing. And mm-hmm. um, we came back together around 93, 94, when he was first working on the, his first solo record, which was called Who's Gonna Ride. So I had a chance to feature on that record. 
and that helped put our city on the map beyond the OG before us that had the underground records and different things like that. But yeah, it was a, a lot of rappers in Baton Rouge, but we just didn't get that national break until we came along, you know? <laughs> So what do you think was that was that change then? Did, did you ch did you come with maybe a different sound at, at this kind of time? And also, let me put a, a, a part B on that question. Was Happy Perez and all that? Was 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 he uh, doing the production at this time or was this later on down the line? Well, he would come later on, uh, you know, as far as my evolution when we talk in 83, Hap probably come around in the early 90s, I want to say, and he really was a producer for a group by the name of Lalo, which in one sense, um, the main rapper, Max Manetta, was like my protege, baby brother, you know, since 11 years old, that uh, we had an ongoing phone relationship for about two years. I didn't meet him in the flesh till about 13, you know what I mean? But due to one of his family members was one of my homeboys and one of my DJs, we ran tough together between middle school and high school. And one day, you know, he introduced me to Max. And um, once Max started coming to Baton Rouge, um, later, some somewhere about maybe 15 or something like that, 15, if not 16, they formulated, they group was an underground group um, that consisted of uh, Max Manelli, Jay Vaughn, shots out to Jay Vaughn and Happy Perez. And mm -hmm. I started to go around Happy's family, you know what I mean, before they moved back to Texas and different things like that. So he took a chance at a lifetime and um, shot the dice on the dream that we all had, you know, um, as we was building eventually the concentration camp to yep. stay in Baton Rouge with his family, moving back to Texas and take a chance at us, you know, coming up out of the situation that we was in and, you know, pretty much the rest is history. But yeah, that's the evolution to that, yeah. For sure, hey, <laughs> that camp life, man, that concentration camp. Yes, sir, Hey, man, memory lanes, man. <laughs> Long back, and you know, and sprung off of that war, World War II. I always loved and studied, you know, um, you know, the, the, some of the greatest writers. You know, I still read books and different things to this day. So from Shakespeare to Edgar Allan Poe and Langston Hughes, and you know what I mean, Maya Angelou, so on and so forth, black and white alike. Mm -hmm. But um, one of my favorite reads and um, movie was The Diary of Anne Frank. So you know what I mean? Okay. So I grasped, yeah, I grasped that whole conception of. Um, what was taking place between, you know, in the Holocaust with the Jews and, you know, Hitler. Mm -hmm. And um, and fortunately, I was born, you know, June 6th on D-Day, you know what I mean? Yes. So my whole life is that. So um, when I was early 90s, when you had the boot camp click, one was in New Orleans, one was in New York. Indeed. started springing. You know, as we was building here again, a, a camp life situation. Everything was C Lope Records. He was the solo artist that jumped off his label. Shots out to him in Lee Time. Mm -hmm. And um, as I started started to see, we was getting a lot of guys under the umbrella that was supporting the unit and a lot of talented guys, you know, streetwise and otherwise. Here again, I said that we needed a camp name with everybody kind of going with boot camp and so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. I thought and kind of, you know, went back into my evolution and said, okay. The concentration camp was, was you break it down, it really said it's it like a purgatory between the heaven and the hell and different things we was going through between the streets, you know what I mean? The drugs and all that, trying to figure a way out of the ghetto, you know what I mean? So I felt like, okay, this is the one thing God blessed us with. That's kind of a middle zone that give you the option to sit down and, and um, concentrate, you know, in the ratio that we was in. So I said that was the perfect, um, perfect group name for us and that way it didn't put it in a box it wasn't just a south baton rouge thing it wasn't just a baton rouge thing and 
keep in mind, we had guys under the umbrella from Louisiana to Mississippi to Alabama, Tennessee. So we started to spread for the South. So I felt like that was the, the, the rightful name for us as a whole with no caps, you know what I mean? For sure, man. As you just as you just eloquently laid out there, sibling, that was a perfect name. Um, and as you say, encompassed not just uh, North or South Baton Rouge. It was, you know, multiple states and cities right. of the South. Uh, right. I didn't actually you know things even I thought. Now you're saying it, I can actually kind of hear. OK, yeah. yeah, all of them went from from down there. There was someone, nah, you know what I mean? And, um, I'll give you another one to, um, you know, Dub C in a mad circle at one time with him and Coolio and then rest in peace to Crazy Tunes was one of my favorite rap groups out the West. And I um, looked at their logo. And next time you look at a WC in a mad circle logo, um, my one of my favorite album from them is um, Ain't a Damn Thing Changed. They um actually had, their logo was a picture of the earth wrapped in a barbed wide fence. So that kind of helped give me the, um, the conception of what the, the um, concentration camp here again, being a earth kind of being a purgatory between heaven and hell, and we all trapped in its fence. So you know, it just fit fit our rudiments at the time. So shouts out to Dub C in a mad circle too as well. Yeah, man. Oh, dope, underrated lyricist, Mr. Dub C. Oh man, please believe it. One of the greatest, absolutely. Definite, yeah, definite. Um, school wise, let me jump back into the school thing. So. You was in. You was doing your bands, um, your band stuff, singing, singing in choirs and all that. Did you yeah. go down? Did you look into the athletics thing and do your sports balling tip as well? Or oh, yo, first love. You know, my first love. Music was there, and like I say, it was in my DNA before I, I, I reached the planet. But I did a song later in my career that's called "On My Walter Payton." Ever since I was a kid, you know, I played a halfback, you know what I mean? I was a smaller guy, so I always get the halfback running back position. So I, I really had a dream. Um, Tony Dorsett and Walter Payton and, you know, Eric yep. Dixon, so on and so forth with some of my favorite um, halfbacks, you know what I mean? Um, so I always wanted to break those records, have a thousand yard career, run a hundred yard, 99 yards since, you know, Tony Dorsett did it. I, I still remember a Monday night football against the Minnesota Vikings. And, you know, you can duplicate it, but, you know, from the one yard line, you know, you can't run a hundred yards unless it's on the kickoff return. Yep. So my first love, yeah, it was really um to be a running back. And eventually I played a little basketball, got kind of good at it. Um, and started doing that and a little, you know, frequent um softball off and on. So those were my main sports with, with, with football here again, being my first love. So, yeah, I used to say, Whatever was working for me by the time I turned 18 or high school wise, that, that'll be the basis of my life. And I had an alternative, you know what I mean? I dropped out of um, high school and never felt a grade, but I had a kid on the way. So by 17, I was a high school dad, like you would say. So, you know, it, it pushed, you know, I worked day jobs and different things like that. But if you know um, the job cycle in Louisiana, you know what I mean? It's backroom money, you know what I mean? It's, it's high school kid money. So to support mm. yourself and the family, and all that, of course, it led me into other things due to the conditions that was around us. So that was my whole dream and break to get out of it. But here again, with it not being New York, California, somewhere that rap was receptible, it was a long way from home. So, you know, God bless the rest. But yeah, I started out like anybody else, you know, sports and, you know, academic. Mm. And for Baton Rouge, what are we talking Um is it a quite a metropolitan place or is it quite rural? 
um, I always say it's kind of country city. You know, it's not so horseback riding. You know, it's a beautiful place. I love it. Ain't no place like, like home. Mm -hmm. So I kind of grew up country, backwood, inner city. You see what I'm saying? South Baton Rouge starts right outside the gates of LSU. Like you're coming out the red light, and as soon as you pass the red light, you're in the heart of South Baton Rouge on it to the downtown. So we between downtown and LSU was in our backyard. The band practiced on our back street, you know, shooting <laughs> apartments. So I was raised so multicultural, you know what I mean? From Italian people in the neighborhood, only some of the stores, a lady lived right next door to us, actually tried to put me in a movie with Burt Runners when I was a kid. And um, that type of thing. And then, you know, yeah, yeah. Africans, to, to you name them, when you looked at the LSU apartments, you could find every nationality of people that just were students or the students or, or parents that, mm -hmm. that that migrated into the country. Yeah, their kids went to school, elementary school and, you know, preschool on up for that matter, man. So, yeah, it was um, a diverse scene. Yeah, man. As y'all say, that was definitely a big pot of gumbo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And and, I, and yeah. yeah, definite man. And and with those experiences and 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 conversing with such uh, varied different nationalities and cultures and stuff, put yeah. you in a real better, you know, uh, a better state in regards to yeah. your your level of communication, your um, ability to understand people and different types of cultures and all that. There, yes, sir. and love for the world. You know what I mean. I could look back at now my music. And you know, here, here we is talking from two different countries, not two different cities, towns, or states. You know, and um, you'll be um, flabbergasted due to the reach. You know, from the Mexican community and South America being the closest to us, Canada on top. But that taught me a language in that sense, and I speak in foreign language, but how to relate and love and react and reach out to people of all genres, all races, man. So thank God for that. You know. And mm. when you was um. Did you have an idea when you, your actually? Let's go back. Um, your the, the first product you actually put out. What was that called? Um, I had an underground tape by the name of um. It was actually two songs on the tape. Um, shots out to Michael B. Williams, Todd Sterling with some older guys. Mike was from Cleveland. That moved. You know, he was kin to my guy Todd Sterling, there was older guys in radio heads that had access to our FM radio station on um, Q106. And um, what they'd do is um, I started recording when I was 11 in different backroom studios, rest in peace to Tommy Jefferson with my first record at 11. But those guys, by the time I was, I wanna say 15, 16 for sure, um, put some money together and would bring me out to Mike's studio and we started experimenting they wanted to start a small production company um, and have a young rapper, you know, to, to set it off. And I was the young rapper, you know, that was um, picked out by one of their cousins that I went to school with. He was more my age. So I remember him, I always remember this story. Um, I grew from South Baton Rouge, but it's a east side, you know, east side of Baton Rouge and the east side of um, a small kind of middle life suburban, um, neighborhood by the, by the name of Mayfair, east side and the north side. So my parents went from there to the Guardia Lane district. You know, my mother was looking for, you know, better situation than what we grew up in for South Baton Rouge and shotgun housing projects, mm. you know, to, to, to give a better life for our kids. My step pops come along. And when they got together, they was able to um, purchase a house on the Mayfair east side of the town. So um, <clears throat> with that being said, um, 
my mother lived way in the back and um, my guy, um, Steven Sterling was a little brother of Todd and we went to school together and um, Todd Redshaw told me, say, man, we starting this production label and we looking for a young rapper. He said, well, I don't know nobody that rap, but hold up. It's mm -hmm. one little dude, stay way in the back. So he sent them to me and, you know, and the rest was history. But we got together and they put some monies together and we did my first tape, which was called um, Much Love, which was which was a barcade sample called um, You Can't Run Away From My Love. So I did a song in essence to what was going on in my neighborhood, in my environment, and mm -hmm. still was saying throughout it all, you know, I'm still giving much love with a flip song, with a flip, um, with a song on the flip side of the tape that was called When Dirty Harry Meets Sally, off of the movie Harry Meets <laughs> Sally, you know what I mean? But due to um, you know, the the, the leisures of that 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 um movie kind of being a more comical, you know, uplifting type of movie, I did the backwards effect. My name at the time was Total Darkness. So what I related it to was having a 22 I called Sally and just um and and the ice tea sense here again, it was a cop killing song. You know what I mean? The cops had killed to feel my young homeboys, you know, real early, 16 years old, younger or better. And I started to have my run-ins, just hustling and living in those type of environments. So I made kind of a retaliation song on the flip side of the Much Love Call, When Dirty Harry Meets Sally. So that was my first tape. We used to sell it in the high school, middle school, the corner stores, and the remaining moms and pop record stores at the time. Shout out to Paradise Records, um, Treasure Chest, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. that existed. Um, you know, and a few others in our town. So that's where I started, you know, with the corner store hustle. You know, in the backpack with the weed and the crack, you know what I mean? The salt, <laughs> I, I tell you a tape at the same time. Damn. My homeboy to help me sell those tapes. So, man, I showed I could sell records. I didn't know what distribution and so on and so far, but didn't know I was doing that hand to hand delivery at that time, man. So, I started you know, young, early selling my own tapes. Yes, sir. Independent hustle, man, getting the product straight to the consumer's hands. You know what I mean? That's. that's that's what it is, man. And and cutting your teeth at that young age as well, sibling. That that yeah, that's man. you know, that's jewels right there, man. Yeah, thank God, man, on everything. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So then we did we develop up, we develop up, and then as you say, you linked up um back up with uh with C Lok, who was you DJing for you initially. Yeah. Talk about that. How did that kind of link take place? Um mm. So the funny thing, man, um, actually, you know, we used to hustle a lot in a lot of spots, but in particular, me being off of Garfield Street at the end of Garfield Street is some projects called um, Alaskan Arms that was on the corner of, um, well, really, you know, the midsection of Alaska Street and Garfield Street. And, you know, some of the main dope guys and kingpins our neighborhood hustled out of Alaskan Arms. So I'd be in the apartments, you know, either in Alaskan Arms or the apartment right across the street on the stoop. And like I say, get my hustle on. And I sell OGs, you know, tapes. You know, I remember when um when when we went from tape to CD, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like kids don't know what it means now when you say tape. But some of my old OG homeboys, you know, had the fresh rise and all that. And um, they'll buy the tape from me for five dollars. But some of them would say, Oh man, I get it from you, but I just got a CD player. The CD yeah, player brand new. Just so coming into the into the into the marketplace, yep. Yeah. Right into it, you know what I mean? So I remember um seeing Lope. Lope was living in Alaska Norms or something at the time. And I walked to his car. We still was homies, but he was, you know, dealing how he was dealing. I was dealing how I was dealing. We were across each other in traffic every nine again, but separated a little bit since middle school. So I walked up to him and sold him a tape or something like that. So 
you know, he still, he was more street bound at the time. So maybe about a year later, six months to a year later, he started, he formulated c Lope Records or maybe was even working on it at the time. But we was catching up to each other. And once he did his um, record, he was the first CD. He pressed the first CD here, here again at Who's Gonna Rise CD and brought me in at the end of the evolution of the recording. And I, I had the opportunity to ghost write a song called um, Never Say Die on that record that um, featured um, me, him and Lee Time. And um, I did a hook on a song called No Mercy. So he liked it, the city liked it, and that became one of the bigger records in the town. So from there, we went on into whatever. Then he, um, the, the next C-Lo um, solo record was called whatever, until eventually um, the first camp, concentration camp, self-titled, um, what, what would I call it, compilation, that mm. every all the artists got a chance to, to um, brand themselves. And my, my song on that um, record, was initially called a fool, you know what I mean? It's the original how you do that, you know, when I was making that. Yeah, yeah and yeah. shout out to King T, man, off of his act of fool. That inspired me to do that. When I was making the record, I was coming together. I said, when people hear this, they're gonna say, this, that's a fool. I said, that's what I'm gonna call it. <laughs> From there, you know, the hook got more um, famous than the than the title. You know, everybody was hollering how you do that there, and eventually I owned it to Master P and No Lemon and so on and so forth. Mm. And I, well, the production, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, the, the production wasn't that different when Pete got hold of it, right? They just kind of did a remix or did... Yes, exactly. Yeah, and you're up on your homework, man. Um, really, me and Happy Perez produced that track, right? You want to say I produced it, he co-produced it, or he produced it, and I co-produced it, but I always call myself as the producer that I didn't take credit for it because I wanted to see him make it as a producer was his whole dream. He used to rap in the beginning, but when I came around and we was three rappers, me, Max Manetta and Jay Vaughn, then he backed up off the mic and focused on just being a producer. So he had the equipment and different things like that. I had the vision and the idea. And we sat down and put our heads together. You know, that's, that consists of a few samples, you know, old school um, 80s hip hop drums from, um, I want to say my Uzi Wears a Ton, from Public Enemy, Roxanne, Roxanne with the drum rudiments. And we went on top of it with a parliament bass line. Um, the song was called One of Those Funky Things <laughs> off of the Parliament Motor Booty Affair um, record. Then we sampled a little bit of um, Earth, Wind and Fire for his chants and um, Aretha Franklin throughout and mixed all that together. You know, I also DJed when I was a kid and I had DJ. So, I, you know, I had the two turntables set up and different things like that so I could mix music. And, you know, especially how the break beats or the breaks in the records, mm -hmm. I learned what the old school hip hoppers would do. I spliced tapes and if I needed to write and I rap battled young and stuff like that. So after school, I'd take a record and record the break part of it and take two tapes and record them back and forth till it was long enough for 16 or really 20 bars at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was, you know, into my mechanics and all. That's some real shit right there, sibling. Like. People don't know no bad out there, man. Huh? Old school OGs, man. Old school OGs, man. <laughs> you know, and all. tapes and shit, sibling. Like. Right. And shouts out to all the DJs. You got to keep in mind, a lot of us as kids and project and ghetto kids, families didn't have the, 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 the um, money to afford um, different equipment. You know, I was blessed in one sense that I had musicians in the family. So I could tinker around with a few things, but I'd take bits and pieces and, and, and create my own. And, you know, eventually the, the rest became history. Mm, yeah, man. Definitely, definitely. So talk a little bit more about the um, 
because it seems like it was a whirlwind. Obviously, you know, the Sea Lot Records, Sea Lot came out with his album, that blew up, you know, yeah. the Camp Life, the Concentration Camp came out. And then all of a sudden now I'm like, balls on my word, Young Bleed, No Limit Records. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I've you know, I always been a solo kid, but I'm the type of guy that could work with anybody and separate and work with myself. It's just what I I did. I learned um, on rainy days to turn those dark gray clouds into beautiful days. So days I couldn't go outside and play as a kid, I learned to sit in a room and meditate and, and, and combine my poetry and write skills. And like I say, I, I, I battled three and five guys at a time. So I had to have a fresh rap every day. So I locked myself in the bathroom with tape players and rap my rap and learn that. So I know that by break time or lunch time, you know what I mean? Um, Between high school, well, well, before high school, from elementary school into middle school and eventually high school. So I was, was always doing that in my free time. But um, in that same sense, yeah, um, having that idea and like you say, growing into, um, from that, you know what I mean? Um, from from C Loke into um, Master P and No Limit, I was always working on a solo record. So I actually had a song that's an unreleased song that was called My Balls and My Word that uh, me and Max Manelli put out another tape some years later and he had another song on one side. I can't call the name of it right now, but my song Balls and My Word was produced by Happy. It was our, my first solo record I did with Happy before How You Do That. And um, I said at the time to have, um, with that title being called Balls in My Word, it just came back to um, basic essentials. And as a man, when you're born, that's all you had. My pop would tell me, man, if a man don't have a word, he don't have shit. Mm-hmm. So that was that was that was on um, real morals and, and standards for me growing up as a child. My pops was a ninth ward. He grew a ninth ward in New Orleans. You know, my dad is from Baton Rouge, but my pops was from um the ninth ward in New Orleans. And he went to the army real young, about 17. So he was real strict in that sense, military, you know what I mean? Um yes. raised by his uncle. So I had those type of rudiments within myself and man standards as a child. And you know, my granddaddy on down. So I took all that and said, okay, it's about being a man before you be anything. So I said, I'm gonna call my record, um, my balls and my word. All I have in this world is my balls and my word, you know, getting back to basic essentials. But being so close to Texas, you know, Scarface being one of my favorite rappers of all time, I didn't want to step on no toes or do anything disrespectful. And definitely, you know, we come from the no biting rules. So yep. I want to do something on my own. So really, initially, after I thought about that and released that song, I said, I'm gonna call my album and I offer you can't refuse. And I got into the whole Carleone Godfather mm. syndrome, which was um, a movie series that, you know what I mean? The part one, two, and three that my pops would make me watch young. And I'd be, man, this is boring. I don't wanna, you know, I was a kid. I wanted to be into other things, but once I tapped into it, I still keep that with me to this day. That became my soap opera throughout the day was um, the whole Godfather series. So I took that um, opposite of Scarface and, and Al Pacino playing both both roles, the Michael Carleone from part one and to the end of the, um, the trilogy. But um, so I made the Carleone thing my own thing on the black hand side. I took the O out of um, the beginning of Carleone and put an A there. You know what I mean? And just made it my thing and started to formulate my family with, within the family of the concentration camp and so on and so forth. I always did like 10 albums at a time, wrote for homeboys young. So I always kind of saw five, 10 years into the future of what I wanted to do. So by the time that on P would come around, I was already 
into recording uh, my first solo that was, that was due to um, debut off of CeeLo Records, but the way the deal and everything formulated, the body soundtrack, the movie, yes. it all coincided with itself. And um, fortunately, I, I was able to be God blessed and got that break on the strength of Loke and Master P on up into Priority Records, man. Yes, sir. That is a massive, massive look. And in essence, so what you're saying is, because um, just trying to re remember, the sound of that was, it, it didn't really sound like a No Limit production. Right, right, right. <clears throat> True life. Um, You know, of course, you know, we was building as the camp and, you know, me and Happy had got real fond of each other and as well as me, him, Jay Vaughn and, you know, the other members of the camp. So we was always at, at, at the home base, you know what I mean? Um, at one time, we all lived under the same roof. Um, here again, shout out to Stilo. He purchased a home and started to build a studio there. So we'll stay in there, you know, it was a place we can go and record for free and take our time and evolve into different things. So stitch for stitch, we sat down and started to work on what with, with the young bleed. You know, I was the first um, solo artist to come out to shoot. So everybody kind of got behind me and, um, compiled their forces and we started working on those songs um one song at a time and really in retrospect um I turned in like 14 songs to no limit that didn't feature no no limit artists you know I had I, I wanted to do a Bunny and Clyde song with Mia so you know depending mm -hmm. on what was taking place between the camp and no limit that record never took place so I, I finished up my record and turned it in. And by the time, like I said, a deal was on the table, we, we needed to combine the affiliation. So we substituted at least three, if not four of those songs that still unreleased records and um, added Master P, Fiend, and Mystical to um, the template. So, you know, that's how it kind of evolved. Yes, sir. <clears throat> so th those other tracks that should was potentially going to be on there, were they actually released in later? Uh, releases or are they still in the vault? They still in the vault, man. If in the vault, you know what I mean. But um, you know, um, I got a chance to first and firsthand um work with Beats by the Pound, so I want to say they did two to three tracks on that record, and the rest was Happy Parade. Yes, yeah, so at least about eighty five percent of that record was Happy Parade. Yeah, yeah, listen, Happy is is a super duper producer. Um, yeah, like. From what I'm hearing, and from the little bit of you know research I've done, he's doing some big, big things now, man. Yeah, Grammy nominated. Um, I want to say either between Miguel or Baby Bash, but I know some years back, yeah, he they was nominated for a Grammy, and I remember happy, you know, taking that um, taking that um, small stuff for man, one giant stuff for mankind, um. <laughs> Leap and him being the only, you know, Chicano, Mexican that was in our hood, definitely in our city. And I wasn't in a position to really, you know what I mean, harb him or, or, or guarantee him anything. I was going with, you know, going with my move. And I, I had a vision and by spirituality, I knew one day, you know, God had blessed the game. But the way to take place, I couldn't explain that to you to this day. But love came around, had a bigger, better hand in the situation the way he was able to take half in. So Hap went out on a whim and stayed out there in Louisiana with us. And mm -hmm. so what he grew into now, man, I'm real proud, you know what I mean, of um what he became, man, just taking that chance, man. So yeah. For sure, so, man. Because yeah. didn't he end up, didn't he do work with um SPM as well when he went back to Texas? Yeah. Yeah, free SPM. Yeah, I knew I was forgetting something. But yeah, definitely. You know, he from the same neighborhood. 
as SPM, but he was living in Baton Rouge in his high, well, not Baton Rouge, really in Irwinville, I want to say, across the river from us, where Max Manelli and them came from, a little country town called Irwinville. So they all, you know, they went to the same high school, something together, and they formulated here again the group Lalo. And um, as they came into Baton Rouge and half family moved into Baton Rouge, yeah, you know what I mean? Um, they moved back to Houston and, um, you know, where SPM is from. Then eventually he moved back after, you know, the success and different things. And we was able to financially support each other or, or support mm -hmm. ourselves. And he, you know, took that trip back home and kept doing what he was doing and became super phenomenal beyond, you know, my, me, myself, and the boss of my world record. So he, again, shouts out to him. Yeah, man. <laughs> I think it's Hill, Hillwood is... The, is um. Hillwood, Texas, I'm sure that's where um, SPM's them from. Okay, dig, right on. That's yeah, right. Okay, okay. So, um, 